the sailings of southern illinois by george w smith from the transactions of the illinois state historical society 1904 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the evidence that salt was made within the limits of the present state of illinois by other people than indians and europeans would not be regarded as very trustworthy before a court of the common people but to the man who is accustomed to look into the things about him in a scientific way there is abundant evidence that salt was manufactured in southern illinois by a people whose history antedates that of the tribes who inhabited this country at the coming of the europeans the evidence of prehistoric salt making in the southern part of this state rests very largely upon the fact that in the region of salt springs and salt licks a species of pottery is found whose use can be explained on no other theory so well as on the one which assumes that the vessels were employed in the manufacture of salt on the saline river which flows towards the east and southeast through the counties of williamson saline and gallatin there are two very noted localities they are about four miles apart one locality is noted for a very strong salt spring a strong sulphur spring and a freshwater spring this locality has several names but it is usually called the nigger spring the nigger well and the nigger furnace it is four miles down the river from the present town of equality the other locality is marked by what in early times was called the half moon lick and also by very strong deep wells this point is about one mile from the town of equality and very near the saline river the earliest known english people to settle in this locality came about eighteen hundred or possibly in eighteen o two in the region of the nigger spring and in that of the half moon lick the earliest english settlers found large quantities of all sorts of pottery tomahawks arrowheads vases and other similar articles in addition to these familiar articles there was found a species of pottery unlike that found in other localities these pieces of pottery seemed to be parts of large vessels a sketch of illinois published in philadelphia in eighteen thirty seven contains a short account of gallatin county the nigger spring is called the great salt spring this sketch says the principal spring was formerly possessed by the indians who valued it very highly and it appears probable that they had long been acquainted with the method of making salt large fragments of earthenware are continually found near the works both on and under the surface of the earth they have on them the impression of basket or wicker work mr george e sellers 
a very noted man of gallatin county in an article in the september issue of the popular science monthly for eighteen seventy seven attempts to disprove the current belief that the markings on this pottery were made by a basket or framework in which the vessel is supposed to have been molded his theory is that the impressions were made by wrapping coarse cloth around the vessels as they were lifted off the mold which was within the vessel mr sellers quotes from a number of scientific writers who seem to have either visited the region around the great salt spring or else had specimens of pottery from that locality all the gentlemen who have examined this peculiar pottery are of the opinion that the vessels were used in the manufacture of salt mr sellers first visited the place as early as eighteen fifty four and he says at that time that all about the salt springs there was an abundance of this pottery just above the springs on a ridge which was in cultivation as early as eighteen fifty four mr sellers found acres actually covered with the old salt pans he thinks the people whoever they were were accustomed to take the water upon the hill and there in the pans let the water evaporate possibly the process was hastened by dropping into the pans large stones previously heated in a fire again all around the half moon lick which is near the town of equality large quantities of the same kind of pottery has been found in the report of the illinois board world's fair commissioners eighteen ninety three page two eighty three professor william mcadams says these salt pans have been found in abundance both in and around the salt works in illinois and in missouri near st genevieve he describes them all as having those peculiar markings to which i have referred mr mcadams found two of these pans entire near the salt works at st genevieve missouri they were serving as a coffin it seemed the corpse was put into one of these pans and another pan inverted over the first one and then some earth thrown over the casket professor mcadams says these salt pans are from three to five feet in diameter there are traditions that the salt springs wells and licks on the saline river in gallatin county were operated by the indians and french for many years previous to the coming of the english about eighteen hundred certain it is that the french understood the salt making process the indians without doubt knew where the springs and licks were an english gentleman writing to the earl of hillsborough in seventeen seventy in speaking of the region around the mouth of the wabash and the saline rivers mentioned the abundance of salt springs in that region captain thomas hutchins in a book called topographical description of virginia in describing the region of the wabash says the wabash abounds with salt springs and any quantity of salt may be made from them in a manner now done in the illinois country 
this was in seventeen seventy eight twenty-two years before the coming of any english people mr charles carroll of shawneetown told me it had always been his understanding that the french operated the wells and springs several years previous to eighteen hundred a history of illinois said to have been written by calvin leonard and published by ivison blakeman taylor and company about eighteen seventy has an account of salt making by the french and of a massacre of them by the shawnee indians the chicago historical society knows nothing of such a book and i have doubts of its existence count volney who made a tour of north america from seventeen ninety five to seventeen ninety eight spent considerable time in vincennes in seventeen ninety eight and speaks of the brine springs at st genevieve missouri but says not a word about the springs on the saline river mr william mcavoy now of equality says that general leonard white knew volney very well and says that general white told him mcavoy that volney stayed a month in the neighborhood of the salt works i pressed mr mcavoy very closely and he still insisted that general leonard white had often told him of volney's visit to the locality but i could not find a single word about the salt works on the saline in volney's writings so i am inclined to think there is some error in mr mcavoy's tradition the earliest reference i was able to find in the american state papers is in the law of may eighteenth seventeen ninety six in an act of this date it is made the duty of the surveyors working for the united states and making surveys in the territory northwest of the ohio river to observe closely for mines salt springs and salt licks and mill seats evidently there were no wells or springs operated in ohio this early for in the life of ephraim cutler son of rev manassa cutler he says that in seventeen ninety six when he came to the settlements below marietta that there was no salt to be had west of the mountains except at marietta and what was for sale here had been brought over the mountains on pack-horses he says further that this salt was sold for sixteen cents per pound mr cutler further says that in seventeen ninety eight the shawnee indians told lieutenant george irving that fifty miles inland from the ohio river there was a salt spring search was made and the spring found near what is now the town of chandlersville ten miles southeast of zanesville a salt company was organized by four settlements and men sent to make salt four men could make six bushels a week by hard work in the winter of seventeen ninety nine and eighteen hundred william henry harrison was the delegate in congress from the territory of the northwest in his report mr harrison says upon inquiry we find that salt springs and salt licks on the east of the muskegon and near the great miami are operated by individuals and timber is being wasted therefore 
we recommend that salt springs and salt licks property of the united states in the territory northwest of the ohio ought to be leased for a term of years the report was referred to the committee of the whole but no definite action was taken on the committee's recommendation harrison became governor of the indiana territory in the summer of eighteen hundred in eighteen o two he visited kaskaskia and was there importuned to call a convention to take steps looking toward the introduction of slavery into the northwest territory the convention was called in the fall of eighteen o two among other things the convention asked congress to annul the sixth article of the ordinance of seventeen eighty seven and to grant saline below the mouth of the wabash to the territory congress received the memorial and granted neither of the two requests on march third eighteen o three congress authorized the secretary of the treasury to lease the salt springs and licks for the benefit of the government on june seventh of the same year harrison negotiated a treaty at fort wayne between the government and five indian tribes this treaty ceded to the united states two million thirty eight thousand four hundred acres of lands in what is now southern indiana and illinois in the same summer of eighteen o three governor harrison leased the saline on the saline river to a captain bell of lexington kentucky i am inclined to think that probably this captain bell was at that time working the salt springs on saline river by permission of the indians reynolds says the first white man to settle in shawnee town was a michael sprinkle who came about eighteen o two and about the same time a frenchman la bossiere settled there and ran a ferry to accommodate people who were coming out of kentucky to the salt works on the saline river captain bell no doubt worked the salt springs till the end of eighteen o six for the records show that for the year eighteen o seven the works were leased to john bates of jefferson county kentucky by act of congress march twenty sixth eighteen o four there were established three land offices one at kaskaskia one at detroit and one at vincennes and by the same act all salt springs wells and licks with the necessary land adjacent thereto were reserved from sale as the property of the united states the territorial governor was authorized to lease these salt wells and springs to the best advantage of the government on the thirtieth of april eighteen o five governor harrison appointed his friend isaac white then of vincennes to be government agent to reside at the salt works and to receive the rental due the united states mr white assumed the duties of his position and was assisted by john marshall who probably lived in shawnee town just where white resided is not known but presumably at what i have designated as the nigger well some four miles below equality 
in eighteen o six september eighth governor harrison appointed mr white a captain in the knox county militia from evidence of a private nature white himself became leasee of the salt works in eighteen o eight and perhaps retained control of them till eighteen ten or eighteen eleven while captain white was residing at the salt works he became involved in a difficulty with a captain butler and butler challenged white to mortal combat the challenge was accepted and two days before the day set for the duel captain white wrote his wife who perhaps was at vincennes a very touching letter telling her he expected to be killed on the same day that he wrote his wife he made his will signed and sealed it on the day set for the duel butler and white both appeared on the appointed spot and they were informed by their seconds that horse pistols were the weapons distance six feet butler backed down and refused to fight saying that it would be murder and he could not engage in such an affair in eighteen eleven captain white now a colonel in the illinois militia sold out his interest in the salt works to three men jonathan taylor of randolph county illinois charles wilkins and james morrison of lexington kentucky from the beginning of eighteen o eight to eighteen eleven leonard white afterwards known as general leonard white seems to have been the government agent he himself later on became interested in salt making in the summer of eighteen eleven colonel isaac white was in vincennes and was initiated into the masonic lodge at that place and on september nineteenth eighteen eleven he was raised to the sublime degree of master mason colonel joe davies of kentucky who was in vincennes at the same time acted as worshipful master Colonel Davies was in Vincennes in response to an invitation from Governor Harrison preparatory to an attack upon the Indians. On November 7, 1811, Colonel Davies and Colonel White fell side by side in the Battle of Tippecanoe. On February 12, 1812, Congress created the Shawnee Town Land District. Thomas Slough was appointed register and john caldwell was made receiver in this same act a provision authorized the president to reserve not less than one township of the land around the salt works from sale leonard white willis hargrave and philip trammell were made a commission to select the lands which should be reserved as the saline reservation they performed their duty and set aside ninety six thousand seven hundred sixty six point seven nine acres this was something over four townships this was and is yet called the reservation about the same time mr slew notified the general land office that there were saline indications in other localities in southern illinois and he was accordingly authorized to make reservations adjacent to such springs or licks mr slew made a tour of inspection and as a result about eighty four thousand acres additional 
were reserved for sailing purposes. From 1807 to the admission of Illinois, August 26, 1818, the entire rental accruing to the United States from the sailings on the Saline River was 158,394 bushels, and the total cash turned into the treasury for the same time was $28,160.25. Ohio turned in $240 in the same time, while Indiana, Kentucky, and Missouri made no returns. In 1818, April 18th, an enabling act was passed by which Illinois was permitted to make a constitution and apply for admission into the Union. The act contains seven sections. The sixth section has four parts. Part two reads as follows. All salt springs within such state and the land reserved for the use of the same shall be granted to the said state for the use of said state and the same to be used under such terms and conditions and regulations as the legislature of the said state shall direct provided the legislature shall never sell nor lease the same for a longer period than ten years at any one time in pursuance of this act the constitutional convention met at Kaskaskia in the summer of 1818 and made a constitution. In that constitution are some provisions that used to be a great mystery to me. Act 6 deals with the question of slavery. Section 2 of the 6th article reads as follows. No person bound to labor in any state shall be hired to labor in this state except within the tract reserved for the salt works near shawnee town nor even at that place for a longer period than one year at any one time nor shall it be allowed there after the year eighteen twenty five any violation of this article shall affect the emancipation of such person from his obligation of service the second section of the sixth article provides that all indentures entered into without fraud or collusion prior to the making of the constitution according to the laws of illinois territory shall be held as valid and the person so indented must be held to a fulfillment of the agreement in the contract section one provides that no person could be held to service under an indenture hereafter to be made unless the person was in a state of freedom at the time of making his contract and indentures made by negroes and mulattoes are not valid for a longer time than one year this sixth article deals almost wholly with conditions at the salt works on the saline river at the time the constitution was made Congress, as well as the Territorial Legislature of the Northwest Territory, was memorialized time and again for some relief from the sixth article of the Ordinance of 1787. 
as soon as indiana territory passed into the second grade of political organization the legislature passed a law permitting the bringing into the territory of negroes and mulattoes who were slaves in other states the law which regulated the bringing in of the slaves while illinois was a territory was passed by the legislature of indiana in 1805 it provided one that slaves over 15 years of age might be brought in from slave states and within 30 days the owner might enter into an agreement with the said slave by which the slave agreed to work in illinois for a stated time for a consideration two if within the thirty days the slave refused to enter into such an agreement his master had thirty days in which to return him to a slave state this law was applicable in any part of the indiana territory but it was especially advantageous to the leasees of the salt works on saline river mr sellers says in the article in the popular science monthly that the nigger well or salt works was worked almost wholly by negro slaves the reverend samuel westbrook now ninety-five years of age told me he came to johnson county in eighteen twelve and from there finally to equality in eighteen twenty six at that time the wells about the half moon lick were vigorously operated i was very particular to ask him about the use of slave labor and he seemed to think there were a great many negroes and mulattoes at work in the various forms of industry but he seemed to think that most of the colored people were free at that time in my search for information relative to the use of slave labor in the salt works i was directed to a colored family seven miles northwest from equality i found the man of the house mr george elliott about fifty years old while an unmarried sister was sixty-two years old i found these colored people very intelligent and quite prosperous farmers when i made my mission known mr elliott said his sister would provide me with all their old papers his sister brought out a large roll of papers that belonged to their father from these two colored people and the papers i secured the following facts their father cornelius elliott was born a slave in seventeen ninety one his master was john elliott of maury county tennessee cornelius had evidently been a laborer in the salt works on the saline river from the time he was old and large enough to be of service in eighteen nineteen timothy gard one of the leases of the salt works seems to have gone into tennessee and bought this slave cornelius of john elliott he brought the negro to the half moon lick and set him to work cornelius was a cooper and barrels were in great demand in eighteen twenty one timothy gard had it in his heart to set cornelius free it appears that cornelius had earned one thousand dollars in the three years either mr gard had received directly the profit of the negro's labor and counted it worth one thousand dollars 
or else the slave had been permitted to lay by his earnings at any rate i read an indenture on parchment which was written in timothy guard's handwriting in which he says that in consideration of one thousand dollars cash in hand he gives cornelius his freedom the document is signed by timothy guard and sworn to before john marshall a justice of the peace following which is a certificate by joseph m street who was clerk of the court to the effect that john marshall was a justice of the peace within a few years after cornelius had purchased his own freedom he bought the freedom of his mother and three brothers for one of his brothers he paid the sum of five hundred and fifty dollars and i read the manumission papers in eighteen twenty eight cornelius married a free negress from kentucky he then bought eighty acres of land and commenced farming he afterwards bought more land and at the time of his death he owned three hundred and sixty acres of good farming land six or seven miles northwest of equality this story of cornelius elliot is probably only one of scores of similar stories which may be truthfully told of the period of industrial service in the salt works in gallatin county in eighteen eighteen when illinois became a state the salt springs wells and licks with the lands adjacent became the property of the state of illinois at this time there were in existence five distinct leases of salt wells and springs from the united states to individuals the leases had been made by ninian edwards representing the government and all bore date of eighteen seventeen one was with willis hargrave and meredith fisher a second was with jonathan taylor a third with george robinson a fourth was with james ratcliffe a fifth with timothy guard the benefit of the unexpired leases from august twenty sixth eighteen eighteen to june nineteenth eighteen twenty fell to the state of illinois the legislature which met at kaskaskia in the winter of eighteen 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 nineteen authorized the governor of the state to continue these leases with the above named gentlemen the governor was also authorized to lease the big muddy saline for a term of ten years this saline was in jackson county three miles west of the present city of murfreesboro this saline had been leased to conrad will march twenty fifth eighteen fifteen for three years brownsville was made the county seat of jackson county in eighteen sixteen the salt wells were near the town one a half mile above and one a mile below or down the river from the town mr will came to kaskaskia from pennsylvania about eighteen eleven he bought a drove of cattle and took them back to pennsylvania he must have returned shortly after this for he seems to have been in kaskaskia some time previous to his leasing the wells in eighteen fifteen it is more than probable that either mr will or someone else was working the wells on big muddy prior to eighteen fifteen at least mr will returned to pennsylvania the second time 
it seems after kettles to make salt these kettles mr will probably brought down the ohio up the mississippi and then up the big muddy on keelboats he brought his family to brownsville about eighteen fourteen or eighteen fifteen they lived at first in a double log house which is said to have stood for many years help was scarce in jackson county in eighteen fifteen so mr will is said to have gone into kentucky and brought slaves to his salt works conrad will was a doctor and his granddaughter now living in carbondale has some of his books he made salt and ran a tan yard he served in the constitutional convention of eighteen eighteen and in several of the early legislatures he had one granddaughter who was born in eighteen twenty eight several years before mr will's death in eighteen twenty four the legislature authorized the governor to lease the big muddy saline to james pierce in eighteen twenty seven mr pierce not having accomplished much in his salt making the legislature relieved him of his obligation relative to the salt works in eighteen thirty four the wells were leased to conrad will again till eighteen forty at this time eighteen forty the lands should be sold there is no record of any income to the general government or to the state from the big muddy saline at this place as i have noted there were two wells about a mile apart the machinery consisted of a row or double row of kettles set over an open ditch the sides of this ditch were lined with cut sandstone at one end of the row of kettles the fires were kept going and at the other end of the row was a smokestack the kettles were very large holding about one hundred gallons each to within the past ten years the old furnaces were quite undisturbed but of late the rocks have all been taken out to make foundations the old kettles are scattered over the neighborhood and are used chiefly for scalding the hogs at butchering time one of the wells had a copper pipe running down into the earth through which the water flowed out at the top a few years ago an enterprising citizen hitched his team to the pipe and twisted it off several feet below the surface water still flows out at that point there was in the first part of the last century a saline in monroe county nine miles due west of the present city of waterloo it was owned and worked by general edgar the honorable a c bollinger of waterloo took the pains to secure some facts about this saline but he was unable to secure any information of value colonel william r morrison was unable to furnish anything definite but suggested that dr lewis james of old mines missouri might be able to give some valuable facts concerning this saline but a letter to the doctor failed to bring a response in eighteen twenty six the united states senate asked the secretary of the treasury for a complete report of all incomes from the salines and also a description of all reservations in this report from the secretary of the treasury no mention is made of salines in monroe madison or bond counties however from reliable sources 
we know that Judge Biggs made salt in Madison on Silver Creek and in Bond on Shoal Creek, and from an act of the legislature in 1827, it appears that Stephen Galliard and Samuel Montgomery were leasees of a saline on Shoal Creek in Bond County. By act of the legislature, January 23, 1833, the governor was authorized to lease the salines in Bond County or to appoint an agent to take charge of them. The wells were on section 32 in Township 6, Range 4. One section was reserved from sale. The first well was just at the edge of the water of Shoal Creek. The settlers dug a second well on higher ground and drew the water with ordinary water buckets. The boiling was done in kettles, and it is said there were as many as 90 of them. Many of the kettles are to be found in the locality. Besides Montgomery and Galliard above referred to, James Coyle, Spencer, John Lee, and other made salt here. James Coyle settled near the wells in 1817. On April 4, 1822, a son, Jeremiah Coyle, was born, and he still lives on the old homestead. I am indebted to the Reverend Thomas W. Hines for the facts about the Shoal Creek saline. In the early days of salt making on the Saline River, wood only was used for fuel. The water was boiled in large cast iron kettles holding from 60 to 100 gallons. They were placed in rows, and one furnace would sometimes have from 20 to 30 kettles. At first the furnace was close to the well or spring. Timber was plentiful, and it was not difficult to keep the furnace supplied with fuel. As time went on, the process became more systematic, and the works grew. More timber was needed to make more salt. The item of hauling wood three or four miles became a serious one. In those days there were professional axemen expert teamsters and skilled firemen it was a busy scene twenty or thirty axemen in the timber eight or ten four or six mule teams on the roads from the timber to the furnaces six or eight regular firemen kettle hands coopers salt packers salesmen timekeepers boarding house keepers freighters hoop pole merchants and hangers-on by the score. The water was put in fresh at the fire end of the row and moved from kettle to kettle back toward the chimney where there was a large, flat, stirring-off pan. Attached to this pan was a large draining board. The salt was scraped up to one side of the pan and shoveled up on this board. The water drained back into the pan and the salt became dry. It was then taken to the salt shed where it was packed in barrels and was then ready for the market. When the timber had been used up back three or four miles, then they moved the works to the fuel. The water must now be gotten to the furnaces. This to modern engineers would be a simple problem, but to our friends of 100 years ago, it was not so simple a task. The plan required a long tedious preparation 
large straight trees from sixteen to twenty feet long in body were cut they must be at least ten inches in diameter at the small end this would make them fourteen to sixteen inches in diameter at the large end with a four inch auger a hole was bored lengthwise through this log the opening in the large end was seamed to about six inches in diameter while the small end was trimmed down to about six inches from outside to outside strong iron bands were then put on the large end and the small end of another log was forced into the large end of the first log the second log was driven into the first with a sort of battering ram such as we have used to bombard the large hickory trees to knock off nuts in the fall of the year these wooden pipes were laid from the spring or well to the furnace which was often three to five miles away the pipe lines are said to have been always straight and went over hills and across creeks however the country is comparatively level when the pipes crossed the creeks they weighted the pipes to the bottom of the stream with large castings in the general form of a horseshoe these were straddled over the logs and are said to have weighed two hundred and fifty to three hundred pounds all the pipes made prior to 1850 were made by hand but about 1850 or probably a little later they were bored by horsepower as said before the pipe line took a straight line from the well to the furnace at the well a pump or rather an elevator was rigged up a continuous belt with flat buckets riveted to it this crude elevator raised the water ten twenty or thirty feet as needed and thence it flowed down an upright pipe which connected at the bottom with the regular pipeline i was not able to determine whether or not there were relay stations but i am inclined to think there were the cisterns where these elevators were located were called heisting cisterns the fact that this piping system was in use in an early day has led to some errors with regard to wells some people living in those regions have thought there was a well wherever there was a furnace and the old furnaces are thick all over the country this is not the case there were few wells but the piping system carried the water in all directions the two chief places where wells were sunk were at the nigger spring and at half moon lick it has been estimated that one hundred miles of pipe was laid from eighteen hundred to eighteen seventy three the first wells were probably square and were twenty feet in diameter and about sixty feet deep they were walled up with logs all the old wells as they appear today are circular and are about twenty to twenty-five feet in diameter and from four to ten feet deep with sloping sides the water rose in these wells to within a few feet of the top of the ground in what may be called the middle period of salt making pipes were sunk in the bottom of these wells and a stronger brine secured timothy gard who was connected with salt making as early as eighteen sixteen and as late as eighteen thirty or later dug a deep well near the half moon lick 
perhaps as late as 1825. The well was dug down some 60 feet and walled up and then a boring was made in the bottom of this well. A very fine quality of brine was thus secured and Guard's well is a very noted place, though few could point out the exact spot. A large tree is growing on the inner margin of this well its banks are grassy and water stands in it some six feet below the surface of the ground this well was used till about eighteen fifty four about this time a company was formed consisting of stephen r rowan andrew mcallen chalen guard abner flanders broughton temple and joseph j castle they made preparation to manufacture salt on a more extensive scale than ever before they sunk another deep well at great expense and expended so much money that the company broke up and castle and temple eventually became the owners of the grounds and improvements these two men proceeded to complete the preparations for the manufacture of salt large boilers engines and pumps were installed large boiler iron evaporating pans were placed over the furnaces instead of the kettles these pans were from twelve to twenty feet wide and extended from the grates to the smokestack a distance of sixty or seventy feet there were three such rows of pans all connected with the same smokestack the old pans are lying there now in the weeds and brush I calculated their area and found they covered about 3,000 square feet. The pans were from 10 to 12 inches deep. Coal had been discovered in a nearby hill and it was substituted for wood. A tramway was built from the coal mine to the furnaces. The water or brine was pumped from the deep wells to the top of the Thorn House. This Thorn House was a frame structure resembling in general appearance the false work used in constructing a bridge across a small river it was twenty or thirty feet wide at the bottom and extended sixty feet high narrowing toward the top this would be the end view it extended some one hundred fifty or one hundred seventy five feet in length there were quite a number of cross beams ties and braces and the whole inner space was filled with bundles of thorn bushes these bundles of thorn bushes were carefully packed in the framework in such a way that all space was completely filled with them these thorn bushes were found in great quantities all about the works on top of this thorn house running its entire length was a trough full of small holes the brine was pumped into this trough and allowed to flow gently to the other end and if it did not trickle through the holes on the first trip it was guided into another trough and caused to flow down it till all had passed through the openings in the bottom of the trough this brine now trickled through the thorn faggots to the bottom of the structure where it was caught in a large trench and conveyed to a large retaining basin this thorn house was a great mystery to the infrequent visitors to the salt works there are two explanations of its office in salt making 
one that the brine in passing from the top of the structure to the bottom lost by evaporation forty per cent of the water this was a great saving of fuel and labor in the boiling process another explanation of its use was this in evaporating the brine by boiling the water there were deposits of some substance like gypsum at the bottom of the pan which adhered to the bottoms of the pans and if not often removed would prevent the passage of the heat from the fire to the water and thus the pans would be burned now the thorn bushes were supposed to have the power to crystallize this foreign matter and thus purify the brine this plant was owned and operated by temple and castle from about eighteen fifty four to eighteen seventy three they are said to have made five hundred bushels of salt every twenty four hours in about eighteen seventy three temple and castle constructed a very complete plant a mile away at the coal mine thinking it cheaper to move the water to the coal than the coal to the water the plant was an expensive one and when everything was nearly ready for work hard times came on salt became cheap and the new works were never put into operation in course of time the machinery was removed and little is left to mark the new plant on december eighteenth nineteen o three i visited this region i spent four days in gathering up the facts concerning this great industry of a former age it was a pleasant task mr a d blankenship a former student in the normal was kind enough to furnish me a conveyance and accompany me in my investigations on reaching equality i was fortunate to make the acquaintance of messrs moore druggists who are very much interested in preserving the story of early days about their town mr harry moore accompanied me to the old works the ground is quite level and subject to overflow the day was an ideal spring day and as i stood on the spot where for three-fourths of a century a great industry flourished i had a strange feeling it was deathly still there were no noises no bird songs no cattle no life a mile away we could hear the noise of the village a passing train and the noise about the coal mine and coke ovens we soon came to the cinder roads and then we knew we were near the furnaces now and then we passed an old well we had a camera and we took views of wells pans thorn bushes etc we found the old furnaces the outlines of the old pans are still to be seen one old pan is quite well preserved but it will soon be moulded back to earth whence it came we found the old retaining cistern and found the location of the old residence of temple and castle about a quarter of a mile away we visited the noted half moon lick this is some one half quarter long and half quarter wide at the widest part it is about twenty or twenty five feet deep and is destitute of any growth except some willows and tufts of grass this lick is supposed to have been the resort of wild animals for centuries past 
the teeth and bones of mastodons have been found here we got a fairly good view of this lick the afternoon i spent with mr mcavoy a very intelligent and courteous old gentleman who came to equality about eighteen fifty five mr mcavoy is a friend of mr temple and is in possession of much valuable information which he has gathered in the last half century the second day i visited the nigger well four miles below equality and across the river from the town there was a downpour of rain this day which prevented me from making a close study of this region however i was able to find the exact spot the nigger spring which was salt and is the one evidently just used the sulphur spring which i found very strong and was evidently formerly in use for the old timbers are still to be seen embedded in the mud and the fresh water spring not far away these are all described by colonel sellers as early as eighteen fifty four just to the right as you go down the river towards the southeast is a high range of hills and at the nigger well the bluffs come close to the river and it is just up on these bluffs where colonel sellers used to find the indian graves and evidences of a village a few yards below the springs i found a native to the manor born he had lived in that immediate vicinity for fifty years and seemed a little surprised to think anyone would attach any importance to these old salt springs he told me that in a little bottom field just in front of his house and lying just below the springs that he had ploughed up bushels of broken pottery and that the whole field seemed to be one big furnace i asked him if any salt had been made there within the last fifty years and he said that everything looked just as it did fifty years ago i examined carefully the trees and i am very sure there are many of them three feet in diameter and yet colonel sellers affirms that in an early day every stick of timber was cut off for fuel i learned from the native above referred to that there was an old pipeline running from the springs near to an old furnace down the creek but across from his house and he said he was sure the old kettles were there yet but said they were covered up in the dirt but he was sure they could be found he said further that another line of pipe led to a furnace further down the river this line may have led to weeds works which were one half mile below the island ripple i visited shawnee town and spent considerable time with mr charles carroll whom i found to be a very pleasant gentleman he is probably the best informed man in shawnee town on early gallatin county history i spent some time in the recorder's office verifying some facts which i had gathered elsewhere incidentally i took one occasion to visit the old flag said to have been carried in the revolutionary war by general pavey i also viewed for a few moments the old brick house in which general lafayette was entertained this is called the rollins house finally i viewed with no little interest the humble home in which illinois greatest soldier and our honored guest today were married general and mrs juno a logan the third day in company with mr mcavoy mr mcintyre mr bunker and mr smith 
I visited again the old salt works on the outskirts of Equality. This second visit was very profitable, for Mr. McIntyre was from a boy an employee about the works, and most of the time in the capacity of Cooper. Mr. McIntyre knew every foot of the ground, and with his help I drew a map locating every important place of interest about the grounds. On this day, in company with Dr. Gordon and Mr. McAvoy, I called to see Uncle Peter White, colored, now seventy years old. Uncle Pete was brought up in the immediate vicinity of the salt works. When he was ten years old, he and three other children were kidnapped and taken into Arkansas and sold. He was afterwards rescued by Watt White. Uncle Peter's memory is good, and I gathered some valuable information from him. On the fourth day, I visited the Elliott family previously referred to, and also the Reverend Samuel Westbrook, now living in El Dorado. Mr. Westbrook was born in 1809. He came to Johnson County in 1812, and in 1826 he came to Equality and began laboring in various capacities in the salt-making business. He was, among other things, a teamster. He had lived in the immediate vicinity of the salt works for the past 78 years, and has a very vivid picture of most of the incidents which occurred within that period. The men and women who have lived in this region from a very early day are very few, and their ranks are thinning every day. In a few years, there will be none living whose lives cover the period of salt-making, and so far as I have been able to find out, little, if anything, has ever been written and printed of this great industry of southern Illinois. End of The Salines of Southern Illinois by George W. Smith From the Transactions of the Illinois State Historical Society, 1904 Read for LibriVox by Sue Anderson.